As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Michael, as a product person, what is the best kind of customer? Um, is this like a, a riddle or a trick question or something? No, just what's the best kind of customer? I don't know. Just, just go ahead and tell me. <laughs> All right, fine. Well, wouldn't you say that a loyal customer might be the best kind of customer? Someone who's not just a customer and user of the product, but somebody that considers themselves to be like a fan. They wake up every day excited to use your product. Okay. Yeah, I see where you're going with this. And and yeah, all of that would be great. I take it today's episode will be with somebody who manages a product with loyal users. You guessed it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So 
who did you get a chance to catch up with? And what product of theirs has such loyal fans? I, I really, not a lot come to mind. <laughs> okay. Well, recently I actually had a chat with Deirdre Cower and she actually serves as chief product officer at The Skim. Oh, that's awesome. Actually, yeah, the skim definitely has loyal fans. And it's pretty wide recognition for being like a, a newsletter, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Although now I'd say it's much more than that. The skim's mission is help female millennials uh, live smarter lives. So that started with our kind of anchor product, which is a morning daily skim newsletter. Uh, but from there, we've built out our product suite. Uh, we have an app that's actually a subscription offering that uh, brings you a few other utilities to help you kind of live smarter in terms of what's happening in the world. Um, we now have audio and video products. We've done a lot around the elections. And then what I like to say is we've sort of built out a suite of products and content offerings that help you throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your life, really, and uh, making sure you're just on top of what's happening. So definitely, okay, more than just a newsletter now, although I, I actually wasn't even aware of that. But the newsletter part is still ultra popular, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And their their core audience is female millennials. And yeah, I mean, that newsletter for that audience especially is super, super popular. Um, but I also subscribe to the skim. I mean, really, it's a great read for anybody. I would say it's a good way to just kind of stay on top of what's going on in the world. And maybe its utility is one of the reasons why it's so popular and has grown this like avid fan base. I'm definitely sure that's a part of it. I, although I did ask Deirdre, in her opinion, why the Skims readers consider themselves to be more than just readers, they're fans. And it turns out that the fact that they were fans was just one of the reasons why Deirdre actually even took the job in the first place. I, I like to say that my job is the best because what I got to do was walk into a brand and a company that had built such an amazing, unique relationship with its audience. And then you just got to figure out what to build for them, which is not an easy challenge, but it's a fun one that we'll talk about later. Uh, when it comes to the skim and that loyal relationship, um, I think of it in two like distinct ways. One is the brand as a whole, its mission of informing women, making them feel more confident and helping them live their lives in a smarter way. Uh, there's something really special about that. And it almost uh, is this like je ne sais quoi. Like there's the, the voice and the actual editorial content and the way we speak to our audience that just automatically taps into this like friendly, trusting relationship that you just don't see with a lot of brands and their and their readership and their audiences. Um, I think it's also the mission, you know, the the audience that we serve, uh, we really genuinely help them, you know, whether it's our elections products where we help you register to vote in two clicks or build your ballot for the midterms in two clicks or uh, getting that newsletter every single morning and going to work and feeling like you just know what you're talking about. Um, those are just like these uh, kind of elements that make this a really, really special brand that has this deep, deep relationship with its readership where they truly love us and they, they, we are their best friends. Um, the second is also probably really relevant to this group, which is that uh, that's not all a coincidence. Since day one, the founders and to this day, we have this ruthless focus on making sure that everything we do is actually solving a problem and building value with an audience and having kind of a North Star behind that. Um, and it's really easy to pivot away from that, get distracted from that, and fall into the trap 
of, you know, kind of creating just content for the sake of creating content, you know, uh, and just like kind of losing sight of the actual value that you're providing to somebody. And so what we like to say is that what the Skims brand and products do is merge information and utility. So every piece of content that we deliver, whether it's the newsletter, whether it's the calendar integration in our app, whether it's our midterm elections tools, those are like tools that help you actually take action and live smarter. They were not just like shoving content in your face. And in today's world where your social feeds, like, you know, uh, you know, a lot of media companies, to be perfectly honest, are just like producing volumes of content to distract you with headlines. Um, us kind of cutting through that noise with our products has been really, really special to building that relationship. So I wonder if having such a loyal audience actually could that have made Deirdre's job harder? Do these fans actually hold the product to a certain standard, right? And and she has to kind of adhere to that or meet it? That's definitely possible, but I, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess the other side of the coin is, especially as a product person, it could make her life easier. I mean, when I'm a fan of something, I'm definitely a lot more forgiving of mistakes. Like, I don't know, if my favorite band put out some sort of awful track, I, I'd probably be more inclined to just look past that and still love them anyway. But at, at a certain point, right, so many mistakes you stop listening, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if all of a sudden they suck now and just everything they put out is awful, um, yeah, I guess, you know, all of a sudden maybe they're not so high in my catalog anymore. So has your favorite band ever put out an awful track? How could the Shins ever put out an awful track? No, they most definitely have not. (laughs) Anyway, back to the skim. Um, I guess it's a good question. Does managing a product with loyal fans make it harder or easier for a product person? The answer is both, <laughs> right? So I'll lean more towards the easier because it's so much fun. Uh, like, I, like I said earlier, I think the best job in the world is to say, you know, uh, I have the audience and they want something from us. And I just have to figure out which problems we should solve for them. <laughs> you know, that is so awesome. So I would definitely lean towards easier, but it, it's both sides. So from, in, from the, uh, it being easier, it's what I just said. You know, uh, you've got something really sticky there that you're just constantly building on top of versus trying to create that stickiness from the onset. Uh, And then obviously, you know, like I mentioned, in terms of feedback, you learn super quickly because, you know, it's one thing to be doing your traditional user testing and, you know, uh, MVPing and and trying to kind of extract learnings. And it's another to say, there's just a wealth of it. You know, um, we're getting feedback from all angles every day because the the audience loves you so much that they want you to succeed. They want you to build more for them. Um, And I I literally feel like we're just always sitting on this gold mine of information. Information and we are able to learn so much faster as a result of it in terms of what our product development looks like. Uh, but yeah, it's also hard. I mean, the the short answer is that the hardest thing in the world for a startup, but especially for a brand that has this type of an audience, is to keep your eye on that North Star and, and really uh, make sure you're working towards the big bets you want to take because you've got a lot of cool ideas coming your way. And uh, for us, we've kind of really put a stake in the ground to say we're not just going to always listen to our audience in terms of what we do next. That, you know, it's more about unwrapping what the problems they have are and why those ideas are, are surfacing up and how we can be a lot more innovative about how to solve those problems instead of just doing the thing that they tell us they want. And that can be really hard when you have this two-way communication, when you're getting it from all angles all the time. It, it would be so easy for our roadmap over the course of a year to be a million little things that are iterations of our products. And you look, pick your head up at the end of the year and realize that you haven't really make made like a big bet. Um, 
one small example I'll actually give of this, of this like innovative kind of thinking based on the user problem versus just like addressing the exact example that somebody sent to you is our app. So when we first decided to build a new product beyond the newsletter, we were talking, a lot of people were telling us, we want more newsletters. You know, we want an evening newsletter. We want a weekend newsletter. We want breaking news. And when you really start to unpack that stuff, what we kept hitting was that we don't really want more newsletters. <laughs> you know, they've, they've got what they need in the morning. Uh, you know, breaking news is actually just really noisy for them. They don't want to be annoyed by that all the time, even if they think they do. And so instead, like, what are some unique problems that we can solve for them that would be something truly new to the market? And we had, we, and we ended up coming up with this concept of the calendar, which is very simple. Like when you subscribe to our app, as part of that, um, we integrate major zeitgeisty events directly into your calendar app. So right in my iOS calendar app or my Google calendar, I'll have, you know, the UN General Assembly is on Friday with a whole skin of it in the description of the event. I guarantee you not a single user has ever told us to build a calendar, <laughs> um, but instead it helped us like kind of get really innovative about how we wanted to solve this like overarching need of needing a little bit more information wanting to be clued in without just reacting to what they said. So it can be really hard to like keep your eye on the prize in that sense, um, but it's, it's a fun challenge. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So you have to listen to customers and understand their needs, but not simply just give them what they're asking for. Yeah, we hear this a lot from some of the best product people, but it really is challenging. It's a lot easier to just give customers the feature that they're asking for. Yes, but that could be a trap. Oh yeah, it usually is. But in order to stay out of that trap, you have to have a pretty intimate understanding of your customers and your users. I imagine the skim has this with theirs. I'd say so. Um, and Deirdre actually talks about what the skim does to have this level of understanding about their users. First and foremost, we made a pretty heavy investment in both analytics, but also user insights and research from a very early stage. I believe our uh, insights lead was our one of our 20th employees. You know, we really made a bet on that, where we said that it's not just a nice to have, it's something that will make sure that the company is accountable to the audience that we have. Um, so what I like to say is that insights and analytics almost serve this like church and state function at the skim where they hold the business accountable to what the audience is actually doing and saying. And so the product team, the marketing team, the sales team, the editorial team, um, this team really holds all those groups accountable to that and says, you know, no, this is where the audience actually is. This is what their problems actually are. This is what your product is actually doing for them. Um, and I think that's been huge for us because of that investment from an early stage. So the way they approach that is obviously, you know, the more traditional ways of kind of measuring what our products are currently doing, running qualitative feedback and, and all of that. But they also do a lot of pretty bigger picture market research to inform our future strategy. And what I like to say is like, that is us uh, having a pulse on our audience and how they are changing over time so that we're following that. So for example, um, millennials are really changing, you know, 
Uh, millennials today are very different from the millennial audience, you know, five years ago when the and, and seven years ago when the company were, was first started. The problems that they have and the user needs that they have have really changed. You know, especially our audience, they're becoming moms, they're getting married, they're you know, at this incredible stage in their careers, they're taking charge of their finances. So that research team is always like on top of that, you know, and always helping inform the next big thing that the skin build as a result of that, which I think is so huge. Um, and the tactics, like I mentioned, are anything from your traditional qualitative feedback sessions. We do run diary studies every once in a while where we'll have kind of a pool of users in our audience and have them kind of uh, log their habits day to day to just figure out what they're doing on their phones, how they solve their problems today. We all just really fundamentally get our users at a deep level because of that. Um, and that's been huge. The second is that um, we have a great culture around feedback and testing, and that's very much a, a great product culture. Um, we're always testing everything. We're always talking to our audience. Um, and again, they are so excited to talk to us that it makes it really easy and fun. Uh, so my favorite example of this is that we send this newsletter out every morning. You would not believe how many readers just hit reply and tell us about their lives or give us feedback or just talk to us. Like we, they really think that we're their friend, you know? And so that relationship and that like two-way street is just very naturally there and has helped us build a lot of culture around how we're constantly testing and, and talking to our audience in all sorts of ways. So I heard her mention something about diary studies. Now that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, it is it is one of the things that they do that would be considered qualitative research. Of course, it's definitely not the only thing. We do kind of a lot of the traditional stuff. So whether it's like usertesting.com or just bringing in people, you know, every month or so to kind of like live test things. Um, it's it's great to be able to just tap into a community and say, hey, tomorrow we need like 10 people and there's like 500 people who are excited to do it, you know? Um, also, we're always running uh, targeted surveys in our newsletter, uh, NPS, all of that. The diary studies have been really interesting. It's not something that we do super often. Obviously, it's a pretty heavy investment. Um, but the reasoning for it is to to take it is to really take a step back and have that inform like kind of our, our blue sky thinking uh, and thinking about if the skims mission is let's help female millennials live smarter in all the areas in which information can you know really drive them to take action in smarter ways there are a lot of ways to do that <laughs> and so uh, diary studies tend to be a really great way to kind of inform some of that blue, blue sky brainstorming with actual user problems that come up like innately throughout the course of somebody's day and week so for example um, we once did this study around just like mobile routines. So we spent about, uh, I think it was almost two weeks, maybe a week, um, where we kind of recruited a group of uh, people who were in our readership. Uh, and we asked them to basically send us a report of what they did on their phone every single day um, and talk through like, like the literal usage of it. So not just what apps they're using, but how much time are you actually spending on them? And why are you doing it? And what problem is it solving? Or is it really just because you want to kill some time on Instagram? That kind of a thing. And we didn't have like an agenda for it, right? It was just going in to get a better understanding of like, what are the actual mobile routines that people have and how can the skin fit into those and hit you in the moment where you might need us. And then, well, then we'll do more specific ones. So like we did a lot on like news habits, you know, um, when do people feel like they're not informed? You know, are they, is it when they're going to a dinner conversation and they weren't caught up on the markets and suddenly they have talking to two people who work in finance and they're like, I wish I just knew a little bit more about this one topic. Um, and again, a lot of that is, uh, you know, uh, pretty basic fall stuff, like whether it's, you know, us just messaging back and forth with them every single day or in a, a Facebook group or something. But the goal of it is to really inform that bigger blue sky thinking. Now, if I remember right, Deidre spent some time at ESPN before joining the skim, didn't she? 
Yes, she did. And gosh, talk about having some cool jobs or at least working for some cool companies. Right. And and what's interesting is that like ESPN also has a rabid fan base. It seems to be the theme in Deirdre's career. You're right about that. And Deirdre actually talked about her time at ESPN and how her time there and her time at the skim, there are actually a lot of similarities in the two companies, especially in that respect. ESPN is was great because let me tell you, if there is ever a set of users that will eat up anything you give them and have a lot of opinions on it, it's sports fans. <laughs> um, especially when you're talking about sports fans for certain areas, specific teams, um, followers of a certain personality, uh, the feedback is endless, the opportunities are endless, and it's really fun. So my time at ESPN was definitely kind of laying the stage for a lot of what I ended up doing at the skim. My favorite time at ESPN, though, was when I uh, worked on this site called Grantland. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember it, but uh, Bill Simmons is like this huge sports personality. He's like an OG sports writer. Uh, I used to print out his columns in college and like read them on my walk to class. Um, and he always had this like rabid following of sports fans, especially Boston sports fans. And ESPN decided to kind of spin him out and create its own uh, kind of brand and its own set of products around Simmons called Grantland. And I worked on worked with him on that and his team on that. And it was such a cool introduction at thinking about it's not just about the utility of the product. It's not just about the content that's being created. It's about kind of uh, adding a wrapper to it, but also leaning into the brand and the relationship that you have with your audience um, and making sure the products like tap into that. I think a lot of companies uh, fall into this trap of separating those things. Like there's the brand and the marketing stuff over here. And then there's the product stuff over here. And I think whether it's ESPN or Simmons or the Skim, there's something really special about product people sitting at the intersection of those things and recognizing the value that a brand or a personality can do to elevate the product that you're building. So I do have a question. Yes. Well, not everybody's product is going to be like the Skim or ESPN, right? Those are few and far between. Where customers are like they're fans, they're they're passionate, they they have tons of opinions about what you're building, and they have a deep connection, right? So if you're managing a product that doesn't have such a rabid fan base, which is going to be like ninety percent of the people listening, what do you do? Yeah, that's a good question, and I definitely have been in the situation where I'm managing products that. It's not like our customers were were super fans, right? Um, but just because your product doesn't have that sort of super fandom quite yet doesn't mean that you can't turn it into that. Um, but in order for you to do that, at least according to Deirdre, you have to think more than just the product. It goes deeper than that. You're going to need to think about how do you actually develop the brand? Brand is important for every single company, not just a consumer-facing company or, uh, you know, a media brand. Like, it's not the skim is not the only company that needs to be thinking about brand in the way that it does. And what I've really learned about brand here at the skim is authenticity, making your users really like feel like they're almost part of the company in a way, and actually feel really invested in your success. Um, and that is so special because then that leads to you know organic growth, your kind of referral programs, what have you. Like, then your marketing tactics can you know, kind of go to town. Um, but like if you're, whether it's your voice, your kind of like your marketing language, your brand, but also the way they interact with your products, like you just need, you need to build that love, you know, and, and build that authenticity and kind of almost sometimes like go behind the curtain a little bit, you know, our founders are very much like a, a face to a lot of our users as like, you know, these entrepreneurs who have created this company that they love so much. Um, I think another example of this is obviously Slack, right? You know, Slack is a great 
enterprise software tool, though maybe not enterprise, just you know, a, gr- a great software. Uh, but like, I love the brand. You know, the way they write their content for the actual product, the way they talk about the company. Um, it is just, it, it just feels like your friend. And I think that like authenticity and love is something that anybody can do. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is uh, simplicity. I think as PMs um, and designers and engineers, you know, it's really easy to jump to like a technological solution to something versus thinking about the most simple way in which you can solve a problem for somebody. And I think the newsletter and the fact that it existed for years and had built up a readership of millions before I even joined the company um, is a testament to that. You know, they solved a problem with, in the most simple way and built that relationship and loyalty in the most simple way. And so um, I really push that even as we're building new products now, even even though we now have a big engineering team, it doesn't mean that everything we do needs to be overthought. You know, we can we can build that relationship and loyalty in these small, intangible ways too. Mm. Great conversation with Deirdre, and man, it's a good reminder. Check out the skim if you haven't yet. It may be for female millennials, but again, it's for you too, Mike. So, <laughs> well, you know what? That it is, and I am proud to be a skim reader. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you can check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com. 